0: Welcome, good patriots and fellow Americans, to the Unity Without Compromise radio show with me, your host, Dr. Steve LaTulip, on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Today, I would like to discuss what might be considered a rather controversial topic, something that is of interest to almost everybody. I would like to answer the question, is Pandora's box of crimes against humanity apocalyptic well suffer me to say that when the 2020 presidential election was stolen by the real insurgents who go by the misnomer of the Democrat party the box of afflictions against America was fully open the lid may have previously been unsealed and maybe even cracked a little bit but we are now facing with all certainty the full wrath of of Satan's demons whose only goal is to torment all mankind until perhaps mankind no longer exists. Will they have their way? The heat in the kettle is surely rising and faster than we do realize. Is this actually the beginning of the end? What more can we expect from the communist domestic enemy And from these avowed globalists who seem to have their agenda of creating a great reset. And just how bad will things get? How many people across the world, worldwide, how many will actually be afflicted? Are we now facing what is called the final battle between good and evil? Is this Armageddon? Well, let me first say that millions of people are fascinated with Bible prophecy. They want to understand what's in store for us before the final curtain on mankind falls. Many actually believe that we are now approaching that time because things seem to be getting pretty bad. And in times of uncertainty and fear, people are really looking for answers. They are looking to God, they are looking to their preachers and theologians, they're looking to scientists for answers, hoping for some kind of a prognosis regarding their fate in the current pandemic turmoil. Well, as I said today, I would actually like to discuss the current tribulation that we are facing, and then actually present some solid handles, if you will, things that we can really grab onto to stabilize ourselves in light of the current global persecution. Handles, let me define that term, they are things that we can be sure of beyond any doubt. They are clear statements, they are non-debatable issues, they are things that we really cannot challenge because of such a preponderance of evidence. Now, I'm probably going to get more theological than I've ever become today. Remember, I am an ordained minister. I have been Bible college and seminary trained. So I'd like to take off my physician's cap and put on my theologian cap today. And I want to challenge you to hear my words today with an open mind and to evaluate its relevance and its soundness and see if it is true. As I said, I'm, I'm walking, I'm treading on controversial ground today, and I am not afraid to do that, and I will not walk on eggshells, but I want to challenge you to understand perhaps better what is going on right now and what the Bible really says about tribulation. If you want to judge or attack me, would you at least please wait until you've heard me through completely? It might actually be to your benefit. Don't be afraid to even challenge your own theological beliefs. Now, some people say we are in biblical times, but the truth is we've always been in biblical times. Remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, And so in that sense, when you're saying we're in biblical times, um, the question has to be asked, what do you mean? Yes, we've always lived in biblical times, but some people are desperately clinging to a hope of being raptured before a great seven-year tribulation because this teaching has become very popularized ever since John Darby and company introduced this concept in America in about the 1830s. Prior to this time, a pre-tribulation rapture was never taught, and despite this fact, many devout Christians would consider it actual heresy to challenge this belief. This is probably the most common belief among your everyday evangelicals of America. So I am not interested in in creating controversy or in making people angry at all, but I do want you to understand that the current uh, condition that we anticipate, the rapture of Christians before the Great Tribulation, begins, is actually a relatively new concept in Christian history. It was never common prior to the time of Darby, and uh, it was uh, further uh, pushed and brought to life again. The idea of a rapture uh, was brought to life by um, Hal Lindsey in the 1960s and 70s, when he wrote his very popular book called The Late Great Planet Earth. Now, I read that book. In fact, I had a copy of it uh, for years, and it sounded very exciting way back then at that time. But uh, the question is, is it really accurate? And that's what I am after today. See, what's important is not what you or I think or feel or what we believe, our opinions truly don't matter that much. And even though the tide is changing now on what is called dispensationalism, uh, and specifically uh, the pre-tribulation rapture, um, we have to understand that it makes no difference what you and I think or believe. It does make all the difference in the world what God said. And I would just like to approach this uh, from an actual biblical perspective. Because what's really important is sound Bible interpretation. And that can only happen by removing our biases and by using the same rules of interpretation that we would use to interpret any human language whatsoever. And also by opening our hearts and our minds to what God really meant to say when he gave us those words of scripture. Now, uh, to set a foundation for this, let's remind ourselves that the Bible was written in human language. We have the Old Testament recorded in the language of the Hebrew, as well as the Aramaic. And then the New Testament was written in Greek, specifically in the Koine version or the common Greek of that age. Now, the Greek language of the koine is a dead language, meaning that it is no longer spoken, and that's actually a very helpful and useful thing, because since we have a dead language in which it was written, then the words and the meaning of those words cannot be changed. We understand what they meant when they said certain things. We also need to understand that the greatest work, perhaps, of the Holy Spirit was the work of inspiration meaning that the Holy Spirit actually protected every word that was written by the authors of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Even though God used individual humans with their personalities and their dialects and their shortcomings and so forth, when they wrote the scriptures, the Holy Spirit protected the writings of those words so that they were completely accurate and without error in the original autographs. And so we need to really keep a handle on that. The Holy Spirit's work was not illumination as is so commonly taught in this day. We have to ask ourselves why did God actually give us the scriptures in a human language if that was not important if if the, the Holy Spirit could just zap that information into our brains and illumine us, then what was the purpose of giving us a written document of God's word, God's will, if not for to understand it by the rules of interpreting any human language. So sound interpretation is important, and it does promote a few good things, namely, number one, having one mind. We are told in Scripture to be of one mind, to think alike. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11, and Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 2. We are told to have one mind. We also have been taught the importance of having sound doctrine, and you cannot have sound doctrine if you do not have sound interpretation. In fact, we read about the importance of sound doctrine in what are commonly called the pastoral epistles, which are the five T's, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and Titus. And if I can just share one verse with you from Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables or myths. So I think what is very important for all of us is to understand that in order to make the Bible say what God intended it to say, we have to remove our garbage. And the best way perhaps to do that is to start with what I call a blank slate approach to the Bible. Let's assume that we know nothing and let's just read some of the words of scripture and see if you and I can come to a logical conclusion by reasoning together about what it says. I have absolutely no interest in deceiving you or in misleading you. I don't want to make anyone angry, and I certainly am no prophet, and there are no more true prophets since the Bible record has been completed. There are only false prophets and false teachers and wolves among the flock who might lead you astray. And perhaps there's also a lot of deceived Christians because of these false teachers and false prophets. And for that reason, if you are a genuine Christian, a real seeker of God's word and a follower of the Christian faith, then, we must find answers in the Bible alone, not in the whimsical teaching of man-made traditions and of those who dishonor God by their shoddy Bible interpretation, for which they will be held accountable. We must forever heed the warning of Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. To paraphrase that, it simply states Don't add to anything uh, of the words that I have told you and don't detract from it. Don't take anything away from it. Read it for what it is. Because if you add to it or if you take away from it, then you will be cursed with all the curses of the book of Revelation. That's scary. Okay. And I take that very seriously today as I am speaking on a rather controversial topic, but it is worth it because we need to know, is this Pandora's box of crimes against humanity apocalyptic? So if we can remember the warning to not add to or take away from the Bible, then we need to remember also that God has already prepared us to hear the truth of his word because He has put eternity in our hearts. So it says in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, but it also says, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Now, that's a fact that we have to grapple with. We will not, cannot have all the answers simply because we have not been given all the answers by God but we can know everything that God has revealed to us. In Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, we're told that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things that have been revealed to us belong to us and to our children forever so that we can do the words of this law, so that we can obey it. So let's remember this. You and I can contemplate life beyond the grave, simply because God has put eternity in our hearts. And I find that to be very exciting. In fact, that's what separates the naked ape from every other animal in the kingdom, in the animal kingdom. So, I think that is very significant. Now, let's also consider what we have been told, that the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's in John chapter 10, verses 10, the gospel of John. And that is exactly what we are reaping from a very tyrannical government's Pandora's box. Just look at what has happened since Joe Biden was illegally seated in the Oval Office. First of all, your government has stolen your freedom. They have actually killed many of us, with the biological weapons of a genetically manipulated virus and a genetically manipulated inoculation. They have destroyed our Constitution, and in its place, they have substituted a flood of illegal mandates, a flood of proclamations that have no basis in the Constitution, but that contradict the Constitution blatantly. Their motto seems to be, do what thou wilt. And that is a satanic mantra. So just what is their goal? Are they out to destroy us? Will they destroy America and actually establish a one world order? That's what seems to be happening. Why are they promoting a cashless system? Well, isn't it so that they can fully control us? Think about it. If they have the say and the power to withhold your money that you have worked for and earned, and if they can take your savings or deprive you of those, uh, those valuable um, assets, they have control of you. Without that, you cannot eat. You cannot buy or sell. Do we now expect to have the Antichrist rise up and force us to take the mark of the beast? In Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17, we're told that the beast causes all, both great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on the foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. And we know that that number is 666. It has a lot of symbolic meaning. I will not get into the details of some of these things written, but we are told in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And these specifically are meant to describe perilous times for Christians. So, are we actually in the last days? Well, yes, we are. But we've been in the last days now for nearly 2,000 years. Some of you will struggle with that statement. But think back. Christian persecution. Well, Christian persecution would begin in the church age. That's when the first Christians were converted to Christianity. What do we see? Well, we see, if we go all the way back to the first century, we see, for example, Nero, who was a most cruel Roman emperor and whose reign of terror was perhaps unsurpassed in that era until he committed suicide. Nero ruled from AD 54 to 68, and he ended his life miserably, but not until he tortured and killed numerous Christians and imposed all kinds of sanctions against God's people, much like we are seeing today. But then we saw something happen again in World War II. We had the tyrant Hitler, who caused the Jewish Holocaust, the killing of 6 million Jews and some 2.5 million Jewish sympathizers who tried actually to protect them from this horrible, horrible tyranny. And how did Hitler's life end? He too, like Nero, committed suicide. But remember also that during World War II, what brought an end to that war? Well, we have the nuclear bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in August of 1945. Now, those also were very perilous times. Whether you lived under the rule of Nero or under the the horrible rule of the Nazi regime in Germany, those were really bad times. When we think back in history over the last 2000 years, many perilous times have actually come and gone, but the end has not come yet. However, the end must come someday. And today we are one day closer than yesterday to approaching that end. But now we are facing another perilous time. We must keep in mind another fact, and that is that every single person who has predicted the return of Christ, the apocalypse, the the end time, the last day, they've all been wrong when they predicted a date for the return, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. But here we are again facing another very perilous time. And in fact, I believe we are not fully aware yet what we are really up against. But the Pandora's box of the pandemic has caused many, many people across the entire globe to suffer. There are perilous times and possibly we will soon be facing the greatest genocide in the history of mankind to date before it's all over. And who's responsible for that? Who's the next Nero, the next Hitler, the next Antichrist? Well, we do have Father Fauci, the father of the Wuhan Virus Deception Club. I wonder, will he commit suicide? He has been the reason for a great many deaths in America and for the maiming of countless thousands and likely millions globally. We are facing perilous times once again. Let's look at four elements of this pandemic just to evaluate it a little bit. First of all, we got to regard the science of gene manipulation. Here we have a coronavirus The coronavirus was man-made, it was fabricated in the Wuhan lab and then released. And with it, already planned was a vaccine that was also man-made and both of these were patented. And right now we are seeing, and this really does concern me, we are seeing another gain of function research going on with Ebola virus where will this lead us to? Ebola is a very deadly virus if you are infected with it. If this virus can be genetically manipulated and made highly infectious, which it now is not, then we will face the worst genocide this globe has ever known. We have already suffered the mask, the lockdowns, the social distancing tyranny, we have had both physical and emotional trauma resulting directly from each of these steps to control us. And they have tossed the science in order to mandate this by all of their illegal executive uh, orders, from rogue governors, specifically of the blue states. We have seen a tremendous rise of pseudoscience and the quelling of true science. Do you have any trust in your doctor? Be honest. Who can you trust in the medical field? I struggle. At this time, I do not have a personal physician. And who would I go to? Well, I have some ideas, but I can assure you I would not feel comfortable finding a local physician to take care of me to assist me in achieving good health. I don't trust the system and I have been a physician for years. Well, let's get out of the science and let's consider the economics of the pandemic. Look at all of the small businesses that have been destroyed. The small business people are the backbone of the American economy. And so very many of them have been completely ruined, wiped out. And what do we see in their place? A monopoly of big business. Why? So that they can control us, so that they can control production and availability of resources, just as we are now seeing with all of those, uh, those articles being withheld from us because they're simply not being delivered. This is intentional torture, this is intentional harm. This is intentional destruction of America. We are being attacked economically. We see the monopoly of these big businesses. We see the wealth, the extreme wealth of big pharma who is now controlling CEOs in hospitals and all the doctors pretty much, who have sold out, sold their souls for the sake of money and power. We are suffering under the burden of technocrats who control social media platforms. The economics of the pandemic is horrible, but that's not all. What about the politics of the pandemic? What are we seeing? A surge, a complete surge in lawlessness, in greed, in power, and in brutality against so many people. And these acts of lawlessness and greed and power are escalating by the day. You can expect the tyranny to not only continue, but also to grow more intense. We can expect more illegal mandates. We can expect a complete loss of all constitutional protection. We can expect the loss of our free republic, which we have already suffered. We have an unelected president, a dictator. We do not have an elected president of the United States. And we will see more censorship as never before. Right now, there is censorship Among the medical boards in all states, they are determined to destroy all physicians who speak the truth, who speak about the best science that we have, the best evidence, regardless of what it is in medicine. And if we speak the truth against the narrative, they call us misinformers. That is tyranny of censorship. We also see now threats of increasing gun control. Remember that they must disarm the private citizen. If they do that, then you will see a rise in violence by this rogue government and they will threaten you at gunpoint. No doubt about it. Hang on to your guns. Well, there's a fourth element of the plandemic, and that is the theological element, and that's kind of what I'd like to focus on from here on out in this show. The plandemic uh, with regard to theology uh, is confusing but very concerning to many. Um, Is it simply an act of evil that we're seeing, or is this all conspiracy theory, or is this actually God's judgment for apostasy, for a great falling away of the Christian faith? Or is it the apocalypse? Is it the final battle between evil and good? Many do think so. Well, I'd like to take a little break at this time. You are listening to Unity Without Compromise with Dr. Steve LaTulip on America Out Loud Talk Radio. We speak the truth boldly and plainly, I'm going to take a short break and be right back with you to discuss the Bible and the signs of the times. Don't go away.
1: Is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. So, why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells' pill free, patent pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great. Convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H E A L T H Y C E L L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The cancel culture is determined to destroy our history, bringing violence and terror to city streets. America Out Loud will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty, and justice for all.
0: Welcome back to Unity Without Compromise with your host, Dr. Steve LaTulip. Today I am talking about the Pandora's box of crimes against humanity and asking the question, is this apocalyptic? are we in the end times what i'm really interested in and to answer that question we have to go to the bible and ask what are the signs of the times and let's ask ourselves what can we actually glean from the bible without distorting god's word what is clearly stated in scripture about the end times. My goal is to answer this question with you today and to do it justice. But I want you to understand one thing that when we are speaking of the books of Ezekiel and Daniel and the book of Revelation in the New Testament, we are dealing with Jewish Jewish apocalyptic literature and this must be understood. This is the context by which we must interpret these books of the Bible. And this is exactly why many Christians are so led astray by false teachers, false prophets, and perhaps by just people speaking the best they can, but doing so ignorantly because of a lack of a background in Jewish apocalyptic literature. The word uh, apokalypsis actually means uncovering or revealing, and it often refers to the book of Revelation, or the apocalypse. It is actually, we are told in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God has given him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. Now, keep in mind that the book of Revelation was actually written around AD 95 or 96 by the last of the living apostles, who was John. John was believed to be the only apostle who actually experienced a natural death and was not martyred. So what do we see in this Jewish apocalyptic literature called the book of Revelation? Well, we see a lot of symbology, We have seven seals and seven trumpets. We have the woman, the child, and the dragon. We are are given a description of seven bowls, and we hear about Satan being bound for 1,000 years, which is called the millennium. And we also hear that Satan is released for a brief time before Christ's final return. And then we have the great white throne judgment, followed by the new heaven and the new earth. And of course, the book of Revelation ends with a warning, which I already cited in Revelation chapter 22. And then we are given this simple reminder, surely I am coming quickly. Now, this was written almost 2,000 years ago. How do you interpret this symbolic language will determine, it'll be determined by your knowledge and by your prior teachings and by your biases, it will be influenced. And it will be also interpreted according to your own integrity and your presuppositions about the way things are and perhaps about the way things ought to be and the way things will be in the future. However, We are promised a blessing, a great blessing to those who read and who hear the words of the prophecy in Revelation, and that is stated clearly in Revelation 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Notice that there is an imminence, an urgency spoken of, despite the fact that this was written 2,000 years ago. So the best approach is always, when reading any book of Scripture, is to follow sound rules of interpretation. And that means specifically to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture to understand that the context of the words in scripture is king. That is authoritative, and we cannot take anything out of context, or we will distort the meaning. Also, we must, must interpret the Bible literally unless context demands otherwise. For example, when Jesus says, I am the door, he is not speaking in literal terms, but in figurative terms context established that. Sometimes we are given some symbology, for example, the seven stars and the seven golden lampstands. That's in the first chapter of Revelation, and we read about those in verse 12, verse 16, and verse 20. Now, these are actually defined, so we can know beyond a doubt what these are. The stars are the angels of the seven churches And the seven lampstands are actually uh, symbolic of the seven churches. Now, before I go further, there's a few other things we need to keep in mind. First of all, the word Antichrist is never once even mentioned in the book of Revelation. It's only mentioned by the Apostle John. Of all the writers of Scripture, only John uses the actual word Antichrist, or in the Greek, Antichristos. But only John, in his first two letters, and he wrote three: 2nd, and 3rd John, in the first two letters, we see the word Antichrist being mentioned four times. The other thing to keep in mind is that the word rapture is nowhere to be found in the Bible. We see the word caught up And in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, we read that the followers of Christ will be caught up, but this is at his second coming. If we read verses 15 through 18, we have no doubt about the, uh, the meaning of those words. So it's very, very important to really understand and to interpret correctly what God is trying to tell us and what he is not trying to tell us. We do see the word caught up also mentioned once in the book of Revelation in chapter 12, verse 5. It says, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. This is a reference to the ascension of Christ to sit at the right hand of the father. Now, we need to remember that the things that are revealed in the book of Revelation are only partially revealed with regard to future events. Because the language is often highly symbolic, and it is described in visions that are not clearly defined. We have to accept that because this is what we find in Jewish apocalyptic literature. Every theologian, remember this, we're talking about Bible scholars, every theologian and any other person who has predicted the date of the second coming of Christ has gotten it wrong so far. Let that be a warning to you and me. So what I'm most interested in now is actually to get a handle on things that we can really grasp and understand and know with full certainty. I've already stated, and this is a handle itself, that we cannot know everything that God knows. God also told us that, that we cannot have the full mind of God to understand everything that he has done and why he has done it the way that he has. Those things that we don't know, we just simply need to accept, and we need to accept the fact that we do not understand. We are told by the Apostle John that many antichrists have already come, and more are likely to arise. In fact, we know at least one will. We are told that in 1 John 2, verse 18. In 1 John, his first letter, chapter 4, verse 3, it states, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Remember, John wrote this book in AD 95 or 96. John wrote this revelation also to the seven churches which are in Asia. In other words, he was writing to Christians. When he mentions the seven churches in Asia, um, he addresses those churches actually in a clockwise order as they appear on a map of Asia. These were churches that existed. We see in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 that a message from Jesus Christ is addressed to each church. Every one of those churches is given a specific message based on their flaws, based on their characteristics. And we are to interpret the first three chapters of Revelation literally simply because this is history of those churches. It was not meant to be in figurative language. We are given no symbology and we are given a straightforward uh, description of those seven churches. Now look at what we are told When each of those churches is addressed, when Jesus addressed the church at Ephesus, he said, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes will receive some kind of a blessing. We find the same words as every one of those churches are actually addressed. To the church at Smyrna, he who overcomes. To the church of Pergamum, or Pergamus? to him who overcomes. And to Thyatira, he who overcomes. He who overcomes is written to the church at Sardis. And even to the church in Philadelphia, we see he who overcomes. And then once again, to that church in Laodicea, he who overcomes. Now, what exactly are they challenged to overcome? Well, it's very clear in the context that they are to overcome tribulation, hard times, things that are really difficult to endure. They are to overcome a persecution. There is no talk whatsoever of a rapture. All Jesus told us is that he who endures to the end will be saved. In fact, Jesus said those very words in Matthew 24, 13, and I would like to get to that chapter of Matthew because it's very important and it gives us some good handles. If you go all the way to the book, to the end of the book of Revelation we read, when we read the new heaven and the new earth being described, what exactly do we read there? The same exact thing that Jesus told the seven churches. He who overcomes shall inherit these things. Revelation chapter 21 verse 7. And don't forget what it says in verse 8. But the cowardly unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That ought to be a concern for anyone who rejects what the book of Revelation tells us, that Christ has the ultimate victory. Now, if I turn to Matthew chapter 24, and I'd like to turn there right now. Um, this is called the Olivet Discourse, because he is speaking on the Mount of Olives to his disciples. And in Matthew 24 and verse 4, we read that Jesus answered uh, a, a two separate questions that the disciples asked him, they said, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? Question number one. And of the end of the age? Question number two. And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. Obviously, Jesus knew that there would be a great deal of deception about the tribulation. He knew that it would be rampant and that many people would be misled. We read then in verses six, well, let me just pick it up from verse five, for many will come in my name, saying I am the Christ, and will mislead many. Have you been misled? Have I been misled? Verse six, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not frightened, For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. There's more to come, in other words. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all of these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. See, this is the beginning of woes and of troubles. And it goes on, Jesus goes on to describe how many false prophets will arise. Many false prophets will arise, and they will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Now, that sure seems to be happening in our world right now, does it not? But there it is in verse 13, the one who endures to the end He shall be saved. Well, that sure does not sound like a rapture to me. And then we read in verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. We see here also in verse 36 through 44, an illustration that they use describing the last day. And he describes it as being just like the days of Noah. It was life as usual. And then it happened. It began to rain. And it says in verse 39 of Matthew 24, that they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away And so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, who was taken away? It was the wicked who were taken away. Who was left behind? The righteous. The righteous were left behind. What's the moral of the story? Well, first of all, see to it that no one misleads you. And it might be better to be left behind. So here we are in another time of great persecution, persecution, great tribulation, and everyone seems to be worried that we're seeing the signs of the end times, the end being the return of Christ for judgment of the world. Now, I'd like to appeal to you as the Apostle Paul did the Thessalonians. If I read from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, the first few verses, it says, now we request you brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by your spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. An apostasy is a falling away from the faith unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction or perdition, the son of hell. You see, there are three things, this is another handle, there are three things that must occur before the Lord returns. The apostasy must come, a great falling away from God and from the Bible. And secondly, the man of lawlessness must be revealed. And thirdly, as we read earlier in Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached globally for a witness to all the nations. So if that's the case, and if we actually do not have a rapture, which the Bible seems to clearly teach, then how in the world do we prepare for what's ahead? This is what people really want to know and need to know. First of all, let's take heart that we are assured in the book of Revelation of having the final victory. The blessing of reading the book of Revelation comes in knowing that we are on the winning side. Now, can you control the events in history that are going to take place between now and the end of the world? No but you certainly can shape them, and you can absolutely make a difference. How so? First of all, by living faithfully. Remember the apostles, when they were defying the government and those who were telling them not to preach the gospel, they said we ought to obey God rather than men, and so should we. If you wish to overcome the present tribulation, just simply follow the advice given to those seven churches of Asia. Learn how to overcome and how to endure to the end. To the book of Ephesus, the loveless, cold church, he wrote, remember from where you have fallen and get back your first love. To Smyrna, the persecuted and fearful church, he said, do not fear what you are about to suffer. To Pergamus, the compromising church, he said, repent, therefore, or else I am coming to you quickly and I will make war against them. In other words, live without compromise. Call sin exactly what it is. To Thyatira, the corrupt church, he said, stop tolerating immorality and false teachers in the church. Now, this requires knowing what the Bible says if you are going to identify false teachers, Right. So it's important to know the scriptures. To Sardis, the spiritually dead church, he said, Wake up and strengthen the things that remain. Come alive, be real. To Philadelphia, the one faithful church, he said, You have kept my commands to persevere. Continue doing so. To Laodicea, the lukewarm, complacent church, he said, Get off the fence and show some spiritual zeal. Do what you were called to do. In other words, We contend, yes, that means we fight for the things that God tells us to do. Remember the great words of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, we must be realistic We have to realize something that is very important. We are in the midst of a tribulation, no doubt about it. The suffering has only begun, including in America, and I firmly believe it's going to get much worse because we are under attack by a very sinister enemy that is global. We must also remember that at the bottom of it all, At the core of every conflict, every war, is a spiritual war, a spiritual battle, and we face that battle every single day. We know full well right now that America is certainly at the crossroads and possibly on the brink of falling, very possibly. But her fate is by no means sealed, and that's what we must remember. Let it be known That America's destiny lies not so much in God's hands right now as it does in our own hands. Yes, you heard me right. America's destiny does not lie as much in God's hands as it does in our own hands. And the reason for that is because God has called us to be faithful stewards of His words, He has given us the responsibility. To do what is right, to speak up what is right, to expose the evil. And if America fails at this Christian mission, then we must not blame God. It's not his fault. We will have only ourselves to blame. If we actually fail to act and to speak the good things of God, as the Lord has commanded us to do, then we have sealed our own fate. America will perish. It will crumble. If we choose, however, to live by God's standard, the Bible, then America, absolutely beyond any doubt, will truly become great again. The choice is ours. The choice is yours and mine. The question is will we act? we can be assured that we are likely going to be here to the end of times, to Christ's second coming. Yes, it has to happen sometime, and we are getting closer by the day. But in the meantime, we must live and act according to our faith and without compromise. May God be glorified by our words and by our faithfulness and by our unity without compromise. This is Dr. Steve LaTulip on America Out Loud Talk Radio. The show is Unity Without Compromise, and that is also our goal. Until next week, may your life be a testimony to what the real American is, and specifically to what the true Christian patriot is may you be powerful and may you be blessed in your work till next week adieu